This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, today's guest is Rain Maida, lead vocalist for the Toronto, Canada rock band Our Lady Peace. Rain and I take a deep look inside the writing, recording, and release of the hit single Clumsy, taken from their 1997 album of the same name. It was interesting to hear that Our Lady Peace rarely goes into the studio with fully realized demos, preferring to go in with loose ideas and allowing the songs to grow organically through the process. I mentioned that for their biggest song, I was surprised to see Clumsy so far down on the album's track listing, number 7 out of 11. Rain said that while everybody in the band and their producer liked the track, it wasn't an initial standout. It wasn't until they went on the road opening for Alanis Morissette on a cross-Canada arena tour that they knew the song was special as to how it was resonating with fans. And speaking of producers, Clumsy was produced by Arnold Lanny, who produced fellow Canadians' Simple Plan, whom we've had on a previous episode. I think his production is awesome, and Rain had some really great things to say about working with him. For all this and a bunch more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast question for you i wrote with a I did a lot of co-writes with co-writers back around 2005 did we meet around we did. Then through, through howard benson we did you came down to the studio yep okay yep. okay uh i i don't believe anything came of that i think you came down but i i do recall uh, meeting you that that was me that that worked with you so uh it's yeah. been it's been a while <laughs> it's been a minute those were the those were some good memories back then you know jumping around writing having fun that's awesome so you've been in la for, for 20 years now yeah i mean look i kind of kind of came here to do the writing thing my wife's a writer as well she kind of stuck with it i kind of bailed on that probably around that time started working with like some Disney artists. I was like, you know what, man, I'm not cut out for this. So I moved into tech as like my side hustle. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about clumsy today and I just want to start off and, and, and talk about producer Arnold Lanny because there's some, <laughs> some crazy things that have gone on with him. I, I had simple plan on and they recorded their, uh, their debut album with, with Arnold. And, you know, here was a guy, I knew his band sheriff. I love their hit when I'm with you. Oh, wow. I just, I think that that's one of the coolest songs I ever made. Just, you know, one of those hair on the back of your neck raising songs when they hit that high note. Yeah. I've talked about Arnold on, on this show a bunch, but you know, he was an eighties guy 
And and here you guys, I know, I know he's a fellow Canadian, but here you guys are a 90s band. A lot of those guys in the 80s were getting the door slammed in their face. How did the, the collaboration with Arnold uh, pan out? It was so wild. Uh, honestly, it was really, we were doing some demos and we were, uh, I was you know born and raised in Toronto. So um, we were doing some demos and looking for a studio and a, and a friend of a friend of mine said, Hey, we, we, we know this guy's a producer. He actually bought his own studio. He's got his band sheriff, but he has a studio and he kind of rents it out. We had no money. He's like, you know, if you guys wanted to go in like literally after hours from like midnight till 8am, probably cut you a deal. So we did that. And so I think it was like a week we were doing that. Literally someone, I guess Arnold was working with some people during the day and then we show up around 11 and Usually see Arnold, just say hi. You know, he kind of just give us the rundown and say, you know, don't mess with this. Leave this alone. You can use this, use that. And then all of a sudden, the demos we did that week, we took to the CMJ in New York. And literally, like, you know, a CD with three or four songs on it. But we got all these calls for whatever reason. People dug it. And, like, Interscope from, from Los Angeles wanted to come out to Toronto and see us. And Geffen and sony music in canada was really hot on us and and it was like we were kind of like still in this spot where didn't know anyone and so arnold was like the one guy i kind of knew in the music business and i i called him i said hey arn you know those demos we did at your place like we have all these people calling us and want to come see us a we don't really have like i can't bring them to where we're rehearsing it was outside of toronto in like a flooded basement so i was like can we make, can we use a studio one day to have these people come in and, and see us just kind of rehearse and, and talk to us? He was like, yeah, no problem. So it just became this organic thing. And then all of a sudden he was like, you know what? These songs are really good. We started kind of working together and it just kind of took off from there. We ended up signing a deal where it was, it, it, it never felt like an official big deal. It was more like, Hey, you guys seem like, you know, whatever you're doing in your demos, just keep doing it. And, you know, we'll put out a record. And so it was a really, like I said, very organic relationship with them that lasted four records and lots of drama and, and fun and, and craziness. But um, he's, <laughs> he's, a re he's a very unique uh, musician and producer. Yeah, I've, I've gotten that. And, and in fact, I had complete deja vu when you're telling me the after hours thing. A simple plan recanted the same story. It's like, you know, we were these young <laughs> ragtag kids. We get in there and just, hey, this is the time we have after hours. We're going to throw, throw you in here and do some demos. So that's really cool that you're you're kind of backing up that story with the same, <laughs> same thing. And you guys, you guys preceded them, you know. Yeah, well, I think Arnold probably, I think he told us later on, he goes, he goes that was a great test for him just in terms of, hey, are these guys real? You know, are they, you know, to go in and work for whatever seven or eight days straight after hours and we all had jobs or in school you know i was in i was at U university of toronto so he just was like okay these guys actually really mean this and he felt like it's worth the energy from him what was the deal back in the day with with canadian bands i always felt that they kind of got the shaft you'd be on sony canada but you wouldn't be on america like your, your first record navid came out in 94 in the spring in canada but it wasn't released in the u.s uh for for a year later but that was never flipped it wasn't like a u.s band got signed to capital but they weren't on emi and in, in canada I know. Like, what, what, what's the deal with that yeah i mean it was i mean it was weird back then it the the business has changed now obviously but it was sure. it was kind of um and look we had we had the opportunity i think to sign with with an Interscope or, or even Geffen. But the Sony thing in Canada felt safer, only in the sense that like, you know, Interscope, I remember when they, they flew up to Toronto, we talked to them and they're like, 
you know, it was very official. And they were just like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this with you. We're going to bring you to LA to record. And it just felt like it was pulling us out of our comfort zone. And even the, even the point was like, you know, you're going to, we want to listen to demos and you guys, we need you to write like another 20 songs or 25. And I was like, Whoa, this is like not the path that I was thinking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think you take that Canadian deal and it comes with a little bit more freedom, but it took us a minute. Like we had to, you know, we had to really work it to kind of get noticed in the U S and then finally on clumsy, big Donnie Einer at Columbia was like, I want this band. I want this record. Um, so we, we flipped it and signed directly to, uh, to America. Well, that's great. The the uh, record was released on January twenty third of, of ninety seven, and a couple couple things. Uh, the first single was Superman's Dead. I'm thinking why, yeah, Superman's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the second single was Clumsy, followed by Automatic Flowers, Carnival, and 4 a.m. The album had five five singles, which is which is yeah. incredible. But I noticed that the uh, song Clumsy was buried at number seven out of eleven on the record. Did you guys not think this was a hit? Is that bad? Well, I don't know. I, I, I you know, you, you're as an artist, you're a little bit too inside it. I felt like that song was a little like poppy, and so probably that's you know, Chris, to be honest, probably tried to hide it a bit. Interesting because I'll tell you nowadays it doesn't matter. No one's digesting albums song one to one right. to eleven. You know it's all all singles driven. But back then it was like, okay, you have the rocker in position one, uh, the semi rocker in two, and three or four maybe the ballad or slower song comes in, and all those four songs are your hits at the top. But you know when you see a track number seven, it maybe go, hmm, I wonder if they didn't think they had a hit on their hands here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I, didn't, I didn't know what a hit was. I just it was more of a feeling for me, and I just felt like look, because people were definitely excited, and, and I'm even you know. Columbia was was very excited about that song, but I think my hope would have, it would it would have been like the third single or something, and we could have put out you know two heavy songs <laughs> first. But whatever, you know, I'm not complaining. No, not at all. And now, do you recall when this song was written? Was it something that was left over from Navid, or or was it written specifically for Clumsy? And and uh, do you recall when you wrote it? Yeah, yeah, it was more, it was it was definitely like a studio thing. We we gone into the studio to to you know make this follow up record. Had a, tons of ideas, uh, and it was one of those things that. Quarterly was it was kind of there. The thing that really I, I was really in, and I still am. This band called Shudder to Think. Oh yeah, they have this song called Little Earthquakes, and they do this breakdown, and his voice gets really small and like breathy, and this sucks you right in. And so, you know, a song is a song and acoustic, but there was that key moment, which we turned into the bridge, actually breaking it down for the bridge of just, I'll be waving my hand, watching you drown part. And then the piano part, uh, none of us played piano. So Arnold is a piano player by trade. He started playing piano at the beginning and just messing with the, um, the mod wheel and having it be a little bit out of tune, you know, all of a sudden the song kind of came to life in the studio with those two parts and, and really, you know, it was pretty easy after that. But you're always looking for like something that makes the song unique, if that makes sense. I think yeah. for all all the songs on that record, even even Superman's Dead, I remember kind of writing the chords and just in the lounge while someone was, I think Duncan was doing bass or something. 
And, you know, it's, it was fine on just as acoustic going up and down, but, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's little elements that, okay, this is an OLP song now. Was the song ever demoed prior to the record? Or was this something that was kind of created in the studio? Yeah. I, most of the songs, they were literally like sketches. So just acoustic uh, or a little piano things. And, you know, it was the first time we just went into a studio like that to make a record without like demos for real. I hear artists talking about that rain and I just marvel at it. I can't imagine going in and it's like, I, I, I didn't do my homework and I'm taking the big test. I, I wish I had the, the guts to go in and, and, and create like that. It's uh you know, without it, without a net kind of, I hear you, Chris. And, and probably I would say 90% of everything we've ever done. We've had some sort of demo, but we just worked on our new record with Dave Siddick um, from TV on the radio. And he's, you know, hopefully we'll do another record with him, but he is a big proponent. He's like, we got to go to Texas don't bring any ideas. Let's just get it. There's like, you know, this place called the ranch. Yeah. It was just like, you go there, man. And you just let it envelop you and let the vibe and the gear and all the cool instruments and, and go in open-minded and fresh. And, and I, I'm willing to try it at this point. Like, I think that'd be fun. I had read online that uh, obviously you lead vocalist, you did acoustic guitar on the record and it said piano too, but uh, you just mentioned that uh, Arnold actually played the piano on the record. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I could play a few notes and, and basic chords, but Arn's like a real piano player. And so there's a part in the verse of Clumsy that follows the guitar and the melody, and that's all Arn. Well, uh, we're going to jump into the song now. It's, it's, it's four and a half minutes long. And uh, I wrote here that one of the first things was a single piano notes at the top almost sounds like it has a flange effect or something. And you, you had just talked about that. Well, I remember sitting there, we all probably took turns at it. Arm was just playing the, that intro piano part, and then someone would be on the mod wheel on the Kurzweil keyboard that we're using and just trying to get the right. I think it's that Nine Inch Nails track we were inspired by. Yeah. You know, it's just that creepy piano. And so we, we tried to, you know, definitely borrow from that. It's got that slight horror movie vibe to it. Exactly. It's just, it's exactly. just a little, it's a little off and a little weird and I, it's perfect for this. And, and it, it's the first 14 seconds uh, of the track. At the 15 second mark, we hit verse one. Uh, the acoustic guitar is panned off left. Throw away the radio. Suitcase keeps you awake. Hide the telephone, the telephone, telephone in case you realize that sometimes you're just not okay. You level up, you level up, you level up, and it's not alright now. You need to understand there's nothing strange about this. You need to know your friends. You need to Interesting. Know there's bongos in this song that are panned, yeah. off to, panned off to the right. And bongos weren't really a thing like in, in the 90s. For, <laughs> no for <laughs> You know, you look back at the alternative or the grunge bands, whatever you want to call them, and, and the alternative radio bands such as yourself. It's like, that wasn't a thing. Where did that inspiration come from? You know, I, it's funny because you're right on the money in terms of like that track. What were we trying to do with it? All the way down to like hiding it on the record. We just knew it was like, you know, one of the most pop songs we'd written. 
And so I think we were just doing everything in our, in our kind of like wheelhouse to, to give it something interesting. And so like definitely that intro part, like you said, it's 14, 15 seconds long. I'm surprised the label wasn't just like, yeah, this is cool for the record, but we're going to cut this, you know, um, for the radio. But like you said, making it, giving it that little bit of like horror kind of creepy vibe just to set a different tone and have a juxtaposition on the record. And then I think once you get into the song with the verse and the acoustics, the bongos, okay, this will give it a bit of a different flavor as well. And, you know, I, it was just, we were doing everything we could to, to make it a little bit more unique. Yeah, well, I went out and checked a bunch of live performances out of the song, and yeah, it's 14 seconds, but it's 14 seconds of the fans going nuts. As soon as that piano hits, it's like they all know what's happening. They, it, it's such a, it's such a great hook. It's just single notes on a piano. Yeah, it's a moment for sure. And I, oh my gosh, we didn't know that going into it, but um, yeah, I, I think. Well, I mean, I think you know the attention to detail on like the first thing that you hear from a band is always kind of uh, important. And thank God we did something like that for clumsy. Yeah, for sure. I had actually wrote in my notes that uh, the piano sounds warbly, which is a, which is a strange word, but that was the first thing that came to mind when I heard. It. And it's interesting that uh, you're, you're playing with a wheel to get that effect. I'm going to recite the lyrics to verse one here, and uh, I want you to set it up. And going back real quick to what you said about this just kind of being a pop song, it's a pop song, but man, it's it's kind of a strange arrangement. And some of the parts, how they go together, are very unique in this track. And I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to, to to talking to to you about them. The lyrics for uh, verse one are: "Throw away the radio. Suitcase keeps you awake. Hide the telephone. The telephone. Telephone in case you realize that sometimes you're just not okay." You level off, you level off, you level off. And it's not all right now. You need to understand there's nothing strange about this. You need to know your friends. You need to know that. What's happening here? It's the attempt to take something that probably could have been a little simpler. And I, I'm not sure if Arn tried to probably convince me, but take us, you know, the, the through line of the story and just just kind of come at it from a different angle. I, you know, I, I was kind of a fan of like the beat poets growing up and studied studied that literature and, and and their kind of stuff in in college. And it was just taking a little bit of that slant on it, making it a little bit more open up to interpretation rather than just spoon feeding a listener. If that makes sense. Were these lyrics that you had in a in a sketchbook, a, a lyric book, or was this something you came up on the spot for for the track? I did. Yeah. I mean, I've always kept those kind of three ring binders back in the day everything's on my phone now obviously but yeah <laughs> yeah. I, yeah i used to just keep binders of of thoughts and all this kind of stream of conscious i was i was always even early on i was always kind of adamant about not committing anything until almost a like in a weird way if i knew it was going to actually make a record because I, I there was there was a couple times on our first album where we had songs that didn't make the record and like some of my best lyrics were on there i was bummed you know, like, damn, yeah. what am I going to do with this now? Like, and, and just as an artist, you get so kind of attached to it in that song. It's hard to pull it out and reuse it and, and rework it. So that those opening lines to me uh, were just kind of sketched out, but they fit like the cadence fit. I was like, okay, this is the right path. And so, um, and that's kind of what I do anyway. I just look through stuff and see, I try to find something organic. Like just, it's more about colors. Like there's this color, there's this, does this kind of fit what what the music makes me feel or how whatever I'm playing acoustic or whatever? And those ones were, yeah, they were just sitting in a notebook, thank God. And it, and it happened quickly. <laughs> 
You ever had, you just reminded me of something. I've had songs before that I don't like any of the song except the bridge part. I'm like, it's golden. I can't, I can't record this song. The song's a piece of garbage. The bridge, right. I can't, I can't waste this bridge on that song. And that's kind of what you're talking about with these lyrics. Like the song wasn't great, but the lyrics were awesome. Exactly. So funny. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I've tried, I really try to be protective of that stuff. Oh, I got a, a whole voice memos full of parts like that that I can't figure out what song they're gonna go, they're gonna go into. They're brilliant on their own, but you can't have a twelve second song. You know, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Although you can these days. Yeah. Well, something else interesting here uh, during this first, the drums drop in. You got the keys. You know, kind of playing as, as you were saying. Arnold's doing his thing. The acoustics still there. The bongos are still in. But yeah. I don't hear I don't hear bass here on the first verse. Yeah, I think that we saved the bass uh, right into the pre-chorus. It felt yeah. like. But well, I mean, even what you just said, like there's a lot of stuff going on and it felt like it, it could kind of survive without the bottom end. We don't want to throw like the kitchen sink in there. So leaving the bass out felt like the right thing to do. And then and then when the you know that pre-chorus comes in, it, it's it was really meant to have like this train like effect. So we added the tremolo on the guitar and the bass kind of playing eighth notes really kind of all of a sudden, if it was a little bit loose it just tightens right up yeah no it's interesting though i mean yeah yeah, you could have a a verse with no bass if it's just a guitar maybe with a piano maybe with a shaker or something but you got the full band in here and there's no bass i was like whoa where's the bass but then when it comes in when it comes in it all makes sense it's interesting you say that because it's it's spawning these memories chris where we were also and i don't know if we were like too precious about that but i remember having conversations in the studio and we're talking about like okay but who's going to play this live and so I think part of the thing was like, Duncan will play piano live up until the pre-chorus and then switch to bass. I think part of it was we were, we were given a tour. We already knew we were going on tour opening for Alanis Morissette across Canada and like these big arenas. And we were making this record while and recording that song literally before that tour was happening. So we were thinking about that stuff. Uh, maybe like stupidly, but it was like, you know, we're, we were thinking like, how do we do this live? And so that was probably one of the, honestly, that was probably one of the the reasons why we were like, hey, no bass right here because Duncan's going to have to play piano. Uh, you don't know how much I get exactly what you're talking about because how many times, I don't know if you ever had this happen where a producer's told me because we're, we're a live band, my, my band. Our totally. bread and butter's playing live. That's how we make money. We sell t-shirts. You know, how many yep. people are in the building? That's what we do, right? And the producer, we're making a record. It's like, well, how are we going to do that part live? And then he'll, we're making a record. I don't give a damn how you do it live. Right. You know? I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but we, we as artists think of that because you want to yeah. be able to pull it off. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's so funny you bring that up. It, all these memories came flushing back to me about conversations like that. Yeah. I mean, and of course, you can use backing tracks. Plenty of bands do it. We don't do it. So that was never a, a, a thing with us. Like, oh, we'll just put it on the backing track. It's like, how are we going to do this live as, as a five piece band? At the end of this verse, when you say you need to know that, that line is sung alone while the band stops there. And then we get into pre-chorus one. You need to know your friends. You need to know that I'll be waving my hand. Watching you drown. Watching you scream. Quiet all I gotta tell you. This sounds like a chorus to me. Wow, really? I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. This sounds like chorus number one, but it's not. It's a pre-chorus that happens three times in the song. The chorus happens three times, and I think this part has to be in the song three times because it's just so darn catchy. We get our first harmonies uh, at this point on all four lines. I'm going to read the lyrics and have you uh, have you set these up. I'll be waving my hand, watching you drown, watching you scream, 
quiet or loud? That was the image for me. When we were working the song out with Arn in the studio, I put up that Shudder to Think song. And I was like, again, like I, I knew the song was poppy, but that the the breakdown they have in, in their little earthquake song, it I mean, I was I was in love with that record at the time, but I just felt like if we could capture that same mood where it's it's this really visceral. I, I, not simple, but like it, it just hits you. And so the whole, you know, someone drowning and like waving for your help, that was it for me. And, and it, you know, not, not only convinced me that we should really pursue this song, but it just felt like, okay, this is musically and, and artistically a really powerful kind of color again. You know, I just think in colors right. for music, and I was just like, this is it. And so that I, you know, I agree like that pre-chorus, I never thought of it as a chorus, but I did think like it deserved to be, preceding both choruses, but then almost acting as a bridge again, broken down um, before the last chorus. Later, yeah. Well, it, it's catchy as hell. And man, you're bringing up some memories. You know, my, my birthday, we were a very young band. It just started out. Uh, my birthday in 92, we played a show in Gainesville, Florida, our hometown, uh, opening up for Shudder to Think and Jawbox. Oh, for so, real? Yeah. Oh, I love, yeah. love Jawbox too, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, Shudder to Think, I'm going to have to go back and visit their catalog. What what a great band. You know, the, the drums and the whole band get louder at this pre-chorus, which again, coming off that verse, and now the bass is in there, as you said, with those eighth notes, it kind of lifts. I'm like, this could be a chorus. You know, the drums are banging really loud on that crash cymbal. Clean guitar uh, is here doing open chords on the one, uh, overdriven guitar with the tremolo effect is loudly in the mix, as you were talking about. And um, on the last line, uh, when you say quiet or loud, the band then plays two bars like instrumental before the chorus. sounds like it's going to drop into verse two or reintro. It kind of like fizzles out. And then you go into the chorus, which again, that's one of the parts in the song that's just, it's kind of strange to me when you're listening. It's kind of like, okay, we're going to go back and do a reintro or something. No, now you're in the chorus, which is, yeah. which is even, which is just as catchy or more catchy than the pre-chorus. Yeah. I mean, I, that's another, it was another mechanism for us just to add something like trying to be musical, add something a little bit interesting into what we knew was like, could have just been a simple pop song. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's so funny. Like I've never dissected it so crazy, Chris. I've never dissected it like this, but <laughs> it really highlights all the things we did to try to make sure that it wasn't just like a, a simple pop song. Um, so that yeah, that little two bar thing there uh, is really interesting, or or at least musical. Hopefully, like you said, you didn't. You, maybe the first time you hear, you don't know what's coming, and it actually goes into a bigger section. You typically think like, okay, and then especially after the two bars there, the chorus doesn't hit on the one. The lyric comes in after the chorus hits, which is, again, it's it, it doesn't follow a conventional uh, a, a arrangement here. But uh, the chorus, I'm going to read these lyrics. I'll, I'll have you set these up. And maybe you should sleep. And maybe you just need a friend as clumsy as you've been. There's no one laughing. You will be safe in here. You will be safe in here. Yeah, I mean, you know, these... This was uh, personal experiences, relationships, um, the whole thing of like teenage angst, lying in bed, not wanting to get out of bed. Like it really, it really kind of like just plays to that 
trying to get people to go to that place, which I, I felt at, at that time, a lot of, a lot of kids could probably relate to. I definitely could. And so, try, yeah, it, the imagery was really important in this song. Uh, I, I, cause I really actually tend to be more cryptic lyrically. And this was trying to, to kind of simplify things so people could see like a painting, if that makes sense. And this recording to me sounds analog. You didn't do this to pro tools, correct? No, this was, the last analog album we did yeah okay and i can hear that i can hear that on how stuff's breathing and it's not you know the, there's no cookie cutter uh, cut and paste the choruses and fly it to chorus too they each have their own unique feel oh yeah i mean you talk about that you're talking about the pre-chorus and the tremolo like trying to get that in time was like back then was, <laughs> was took way more time than it would t- today that's for sure but I, but I, you know, I, I think the cool thing is it's not perfectly in time. Like it, it, it kind of moves. I think it falls off. It slows down a little bit at the end, um, yeah. which is, you know, I mean, music's great like that. It's kind of, you know, a couple clicks of the mouse. Now we can fix things like that. Yeah. I, almost unfortunately, I think sometimes, you know, I know, I know. Hey everybody. Chris to makes a podcast producer. Chris Fafalius here. We got to take a quick break for a few words from our sponsors. So don't go anywhere, but Before we do, I wanted to let you all know that Our Lady Peace just released their new album, Spiritual Machines 2, so you should check it out. And here's a clip of an amazing song from it. This is Stop Making Stupid People Famous. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. Do you enjoy the content and production of Chris Demakes a podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out weknowpodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. And 
back to the show. There's a couple harmonies within the chorus here. It's interesting. As clumsy as you've been, there's no one laughing. Just on those two lines. Alfred, as clumsy as you've been, no one laughing. Do you recall how that came about? Was that uh, per Arnold's suggestion or something you said, you know, we should have harmonies here? Or did you sing on the rest of the chorus and he kind of went, eh, we only need it right there? Yeah, I definitely was not, because our first album, the har- there's not a lot of harmonies at all. And so Arnold was, we were just trying to find ways to expand our sound. Yeah, Arn was great. You know, that was, that was one of the tools with Arnold that was amazing, because he played piano so well. He could just uh-huh. show harmony on piano right away. And I was like, oh, the third, yeah, it's too poppy fourth aisle that's kind of cool it sounds like closer alice in chains or you know a fifth. <laughs> it, it, it was just nice to have him as that kind of musician uh as a producer in the studio where you could get it right away it was it was pretty uh huge asset for us again that's cool you mentioned that because where i really learned how to sing and with harmonies was producer howard benson you know he's a a pianist and, and composer yeah. and you can just when you have someone like that and go here here's the harmony on my right hand it just opens up a whole new door for you unbelievable yeah i was always jealous i was like i gotta learn how to flip the piano. I, I should have <laughs> listened to my mom <laughs> yeah exactly i took yeah. lessons for like eight months didn't like the teacher that's it, <laughs> <laughs> well the the drums in the chorus here go to a halftime feel i wrote even though it's really not halftime the tambourine is on the snare hits just one every snare hit and is really loud in the mix the tambourine's really loud uh in, in a good way uh the stereo guitars are, are here they're overdriven um with the guitar panned left doing this arpeggiated picking that's accenting the vocal melody R- really cool do you recall how some of those overdubs came about yeah i mean we just tried to I think sonically open it up. So finding like the arpeggiated part made it feel wider. It gave it like a sparkliness because the the pre-chorus is kind of just it's it's more in a box and driving. So we just we tried to find all those different me- mechanisms to to kind of make it sparkle and and those things all kind of add to that. I think even the tambourine. And I'm not look. I'm honestly I'm not a big tambourine guy. So it was I don't know if it was a battle, but. Um, yeah, it took some convincing for sure. It's interesting. Like I said, it, it it's when I say it's loud in the mix, not in a bad way, but it's it's really present up there. Yeah. It's like if, if you don't like tambourine, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, well we're gonna put it in there, but we're, we're gonna kinda bury it here. That's not what they did here. As as no, I know. And it's funny you mentioned before the in the um the pre course, like the the ride symbol where it's just a crash ride. The crash, yeah. I remember our label saying, can we turn that down? And again, I was like, no <laughs> fucking way. Like, this is what's making it. It's keeping it somewhat of a rock song, you know? Well, and typically that's why I kind of was calling that the chorus or thinking because it's so brash and it's so loud there. No, that, no. Then the chorus comes in and the chorus isn't as almost heavy as the pre-chorus part. You typically totally. don't do that. You're building. But in this instance, it works, you know there's kind of a third chorus here, Rain, in my opinion. Now we're going double time. You will be safe in here. It's like a different part, and you get that for two times. And it really lifts here, and it's almost, I called it a a post-chorus. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was was just, I think, part of the, the feeling was that lyric, warranted being repeated in a way just to kind of i don't know get that that thought out in in a in a stronger way because at, at, at the end of the day that i think that lyric you'll be safe in here is what is i don't know i don't want to say heartfelt but it's what kind of draws you into like okay 
the drown thing could be really dark. I'm sure people perceive it as really dark, but it's like, you know, you're providing that relief and safety at the end. So the repeating it was, um, yeah, part to, to double down on that message. And then again, you know, Arnold was always really good at, or really kind of a real bitch, to be honest, about wanting the drums to be the leader, you know, in parts mm-hmm. and sections and, and, and getting busier with drums. Uh, he was never afraid of that, which was, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why I think the tambourine is so perfect hitting just on the, on the snare hits prior to this part is cause you know, the drums coming here now, it's like a double time, albeit with almost like a backwards beat that's happening. Yeah. It's like a backwards double time beat, but the tambourine goes to 16th notes. It's just uh, yeah. shaking here, and it makes this part seem so much so energetic and and, and faster than it is. And yeah. it, the band doesn't speed up there. I, and and it, I think it's a neat trick. Um, and the guitar comes in on these last two lines, the "You will be safe in here" lines. Uh, it almost sounds like a synth, but is there like a flanger or like a, a, a harmonizer on there? A big muff like harmonizer or something on that guitar? Yeah, like the the one piece of you know Arnold's Arnold's studio was. Uh, I mean, it was great, but he you know he had just started like buying gear. And, and the one um, outboard gear that, that we all fell in love with was the Eventide 3000. And so mm-hmm. there was a setting that we I think we, you know, we kind of sound design it with, with the Eventide and like saved it. And that became our, I sing through that same setting that was on the guitar in the bridge. Okay. Um, so <laughs> okay. it was like, whatever, whenever we're in doubt of like, we need something unique, we just use that setting on the Eventide 3000. It was amazing. That's cool. We'll, we'll get to that, which is which is a which is a cool part. Um, I love this uh, part of the guitar part uh, through that even tie. It's it's the guitar mimics the melody line there. Yeah. Do you recall? Was there ever a different guitar part, or was that was that how it was? Yeah, I mean, we we tried to extend some of the stuff, some of the arpeggio stuff through the chorus. I remember, and it just didn't. It, it felt like that was that that section started to reveal, reveal itself. Like you said, when we sped up the tamarins, it feels like okay, this is its own thing. So let's bail from from trying to pull other stuff in the chorus. So um, yeah, I think when we when we keyed into like repeating the melody on the guitar with that tone, it's just like yeah, this works. Gotcha. Well, that last line, you will be safe in here. It, the band just goes right into verse two. Uh, the band is in right off the top. It's the same instrumentation as verse one, except there's bass throughout verse two. The bass is, is, is here. Uh, and there's a guitar with what I wrote. I thought maybe it was an electro like harmonics, big muff pedal, but it's probably the same pedal you were just speaking of here. Uh, it's kind of noodling throughout this verse. And, and this alone really sets this verse apart from, from verse one. Yeah, that guitar was huge. I remember I remember um as we were working on that part and um it just felt like even without the vocal in, I was like, okay, this this isn't again like and I hate to keep referencing, but it doesn't feel like just some acoustic poppy song. Like the, that guitar felt um just really unique. You know, it, it's kind of on, you know, on the thicker strings and it's kind of muffled and muted and but it just felt um like it gave that verse a vibe. It's got the feel of a first take. 
I don't say that in a bad light. It just kind yeah, of feels yeah, like yeah. you're just in the corner noodling. It wasn't like really thought out, but it really sets that verse apart from uh, from verse one. No, a hundred percent. It was. I think there's. I think it was done on a on a three thirty five. So it was meant to have kind of that jazzy, thicker tone. And yeah, it was supposed to feel like you said, like kind of rough around the edges. It, w- it wasn't supposed to be this like you know beautiful, pristine part. It's it was a great balance from everything else. Yeah, because when you mentioned the top, this is like just an, uh, we just thought it was like a pop song. Like these little things set it apart from just an acoustic type pop song. It's 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 these little flares in the in the song that, that definitely to, to to me add that nuance. Verse two, I'm gonna read these lyrics and uh, have you talk about them. Throw away this very old shoelace that tripped you again. Try and shrug it off, shrug it off, shrug it off. It's only skin now. You need to understand. There's nothing fake about this. You need to let me in. I'm watching you and, and there's no stop here. Like verse one, we go right into pre-chorus two, but uh, set these lyrics up if you can. Yeah. I think more kind of not stream of conscious, but a, a little cryptic at the same time, you know, just using that, that more like beatpo cadence, like repeating words, you know, things, you know, they're always the furling nettings and all those guys were, were much more jagged with, with their, with their poetry. And so just trying to, trying to work that in there. I, 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 I'm people were cool. Everyone was pretty cool to me, but I knew it's probably Arnold at the most, but he kind of let it slide. Like, can you just fucking tell us what you're talking about? You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> like simply, you know, I'll tell you and, though, if there was ever a time to be a band, it was the nineties because you could write stuff like this. And exactly. it was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but it's cool. Exactly. Exactly. So I felt like I had that freedom and, and kind of ran with it. That's great. Well, pre-chorus number two, it's the same first three lines, but the last line changes here. Instead of quiet or loud, you say no one's around. All four of these lines are again harmonized. Why the lyric change there? You know what? I mean, I don't know if I do that today. You know, Chris. To be honest, like I, I I'm, and I want to say I've gotten simpler or trying to be more basic, but just try. We just felt like like Arnold instilled in us. We were all Beatles fans, and when we found we had that love of the Beatles with each other, it, we just always analyzed every every four bars. Something changed. Like there was all. You're always trying to like evolve something. And never just go back to a part that is really you've heard before without something new on it. And so a lot of times with, with these early records, like I did that lyrically as well. Um, and like I said, I, you know, I'm not sure if I would change it again, because there are a couple songs where I've changed it and people don't buy in and they sing the old one. They sing the first pre-chorus. <laughs> I know. Them, you know, so I'm like, am I, am I fighting an uphill battle here? But that one, I think they kind of get because it's just a, a slight change and maybe that's the way to do it. Yeah, the old songwriting catch twenty two for sure. I've 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 dealt with that. Uh, yeah. At the end, at the end of pre-chorus two, there's this cool chorusy like flanger. I I wrote space noise that kind of happens. I think that that was probably went to tape, and and you just decided not to mute it. You just left it in because it was cool, right? Yeah, yeah. There's those happy accidents are they don't happen as much anymore, obviously. But back then, right. it was fun. yeah, yeah, it was fun, and everyone look at each other like, don't touch it. I think it's perfect. It adds to that uh, that that realism. Chorus two is the same as chorus one. Uh, goes into that post-chorus. And maybe you should sleep. And maybe you just need a friend. 
bridge where you're doing these ooze it's hard to discern what what is with the ooze <laughs> there that you're doing and uh, when you hit that big f sharp chord there it just opens up it's just it's really really great and it ushers in a whole new mood drums seem to open up space-wise here. It almost seems like they got more reverb on the drums or something. Yeah, probably. That was definitely, you know, <laughs> it's funny talking about Arnold like, and reverb. Like the, the reverb, the use of reverb was really well done in the 80s, like, you know, on the drums. And and so it, I was I was always kind of like more apt to keep things drier and tighter sounding. Um, but Arnold had a good handle on it. So it's probably something he did in the mix, you know, just to give that a different space and separate it right I, I wrote the ooh vocals are, are accompanied by an almost moog sound but again it could be that guitar with the big muff and i put a question mark but it, it's that guitar again and then you're running your vocals through that as well yeah exactly it's that it's back to that even side 3000 we we ran everything through there it's such a trippy sound and you can hardly hear like the first time i listened to it and really you know put the headphones on it because I've, I've heard the song obviously before but really sat down and started listening I'm like oh he's singing that and i'm like wait a second, there's no vocals there. Is there vocals? And like, I think it's yeah. two things. It's, it's a crazy sound. Yeah, well, that box, I mean, that box was brilliant. The, the uh, you know, literally, I mean, we had fun just experimenting, singing. You know, I would just sit on the couch in the, in the control room singing through the microphone and through that box. Through dip, you know, you could have harmonies and, and all different stuff. And it was... It was amazing. It was it was a way to take my instrument and and basically you know morph it into something unique. At the end of the bridge here, I don't know. Were you just again in front of the mic, kind of riffing? You do this, uh, and, and my, my notes are terrible, but uh, you do this uh, a lie i i i i i like thing. And there's no lyrics there, but you're just kind of kind of riffing there. Was that an accident, yeah. or was that on purpose? No, those were, you know, I, I don't know what I was doing. And there was, again, one of those things where when we listen back, I think there was a moment where, like, you know, we got to write something for that. But, uh, you know, again, like trying to find moments that felt just kind of off the cuff for this kind of song were important. So probably fought to keep that. Why shove a lyric in there if it doesn't matter? You know, is it really going to really going to make the part that much more dramatic? Exactly, exactly. Well, um, everything after this bridge, which the bridge is just is just huge, it's massive, everything just quiets down. It's a single clean guitar uh, and a vocal here, and it's uh, pre-chorus three. I'll be waving my hand Watching you drown Watching you scream Quiet all loud uh, I'll be waving my hand Watching you drown watching you scream and you're back to the first pre-chorus lyric of quiet or loud. Do you recall why you went back to that one and didn't keep the second one? You know, the way we broke it down, it just felt like that was the right lyric to say there because it got so quiet. Like that whole section was, again, that's, that was completely borrowed from, from Shudder to think and the ability to really just make everything so small and intimate just felt like that lyric worked better there. 
I think it does. Yeah, the, the quiet because the whole the whole part's quiet. I think that's great. And uh, on loud, uh, the last uh, word you say here, um, the hand kind of slides on the guitar. There's like this sloppy out of tune feel for like two seconds. Yeah, I'm assuming that just happened before you stopped recording and again you left it in. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because Arnold is such like a perfectionist with with recording the way he he produces and stuff like more of like the Mutt Lang kind of school he comes from. And so, yeah, anything for us that felt live was good. You know, I think a lot of the stuff we're listening to and a lot of the artists that we kind of grew up on, we, we definitely, the Neil Youngs and stuff like that. Like it was just, it is what it was, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. you didn't change things and you were trying to capture just something in a moment rather than trying to perfect it. So it's funny those you mentioned you know it's just this little slide off the guitar that kind of is out of tune those things are really important to us in a weird way yeah no and you know chorus three i couldn't really hear any big you know extra uh, instrumentation that comes in a lot of times you know you'll run another pair of stereo guitars in or you'll you'll have a, a guitar up the middle in the last chorus but this chorus hits so hard because the pre-chorus is quiet before it yeah yeah we, yeah exactly like we broken it down so much made it so small and intimate that it didn't need anything else exactly yeah think about that but definitely that's that's why we never no one ever even thought about wow like you said you need another you know a couple guitars or anything well we get a full chorus and we get one more line of you will be safe in here and then you say in here six more times before the song ends between the in here's you're doing this a uh, how wow like little <laughs> riffing again again no lyrics was that just off the cuff or was that something that, that just happened yeah yeah you try again like just really again like there it's a it's another section where we had the opportunity to add something that felt like you said very off the cuff and not not um premeditated and um you know trying to bring as much you know live feel on the vocal as well so before we wrap up here, Rain, I, I got to ask you, you know, the, it, was, it was the second single. Uh, I was buried at number seven uh, on the record. When this thing started to gain traction, were, were you all surprised or did, did it, I guess at some point when the mixes were coming back, was Arnold like this is the one or the label or anybody in the band? Or was, was this just a huge surprise, everybody, how, how fast it climbed? Yeah, what was interesting was because, I, like I said, we, we'd recorded the record. Superman's Dead was actually written later. 
but we recorded the record and and kind of had a good feel for it. I think I think the mixes were done, but we went out and toured. We weren't exactly finished. We knew we were coming back in to do a couple more songs, but we had this Alanis tour book and we went out with Alanis Morissette and we played Clumsy. And I, you know, I mean, this is only our second album, but we were like, what's happening? Like people were starting to move and you could see people stand up and like, so we kind of knew there was something just immediate there. I, what was going to happen after that, I didn't know, but it was the first time we had a song that was new where I was like, oh, they like it already and they never heard it. So that was a new feeling for me. So kind of had a feel like, okay, there's something cool here. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what, what a great feeling. Well, listen, man, congrats on all of your success. Thanks for sitting in today. And uh, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with before we uh, sign off here? What's going on with uh, you or the band? Yeah, I mean, we have, a, we have literally have a new album coming out on the 28th of January. We did with Dave Siddick from TV on the Radio crazy records spiritual machines too all based off ray kurzweil and futuristic predictions and that's pretty amazing uh and we sold it as uh i don't know if you're in that the space chris but uh we we actually released the album as an nft oh yeah yeah so we sold 500 records as nfts just to like you know fans that really wanted to get it early which was kind of cool I, there's like you know we've both been in this business for a minute this is like taking the power back and, and going directly to your fans, which is really cool. So I'm excited about that too. Yeah, definitely new, new territory of technology. It's crazy. Yeah, man. Yeah. But dude, this was amazing. I've never, honestly, I've never, I've never analyzed clumsy or any of our songs like this. What a treat, man. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really great to talk to you. I really appreciate this. That means a lot. Yeah. I like to take a deep dive here and really get into it. And, uh, and, and you were great. Thank you. Oh, fans are going to freak out over this stuff. I probably gave too much away, but it's fun. <laughs> There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon. From Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, if you need a unique, thoughtful, and inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, check out iloveenamelpins.com. Make someone's day by giving them a little present to show you care. Over 80 different pins are available, everything from cats and dogs to your favorite celebrities. And to top it off, you can use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% on your order. I love enamelpins.com. Give them something to wear that shows that you care. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to Band You Might Not Know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is the Ghostwood Murder, a five-piece band from Arizona that mixes folk, punk, and horror themes. The band consists of Becca Parks on guitar and vocals, Fernando Halsey on bass, 
Chris Lay on guitar and vocals, Ryan Graves on drums and vocals, and Paul Forehand on the violin. Here's a snippet of their song, Creature. Chris and Chris. All right, man. So you got to talk about Arnold Lanny again. Can we talk about Arnold <laughs> Lanny anymore between the podcast and the after party? I mean, we got to get him at some point. Uh, it's so weird. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but when that sheriff song used to come on in the 80s, I used to get this this weird sixth sense about it. And I know what that sixth sense was. Now it's that I was going to be talking about this guy 30 <laughs> freaking years later. It's so weird, right? Yeah, he is. He is a, a real uh, fixture in our lives now. But uh, hey, once again, he did a great job with this song. It's a giant hit song, and it's very interesting. I thought it was really cool that Rain talked about how they were always looking for something that makes the song unique. I think that's something that nowadays I realize more than ever is there has to be something about the song that doesn't sound like something you've heard before a thousand times a million times yeah and i think something has to do with uh you know they went analog with this nothing was uh you know copied and pasted in, in pro tools it was uh those little nuances of noise and little chorusy effects that happened after the verse would, would end they, they left all that in and it just it, it makes it uh, makes it feel real right and i heard this referenced lots of times in here but I don't know that I thought of this song as like a pop song. I thought of it as a rock song. It was played on the rock station where I'm at. It's not like it was played on like, I don't remember it being played on the top 40 station. It probably was, but I would think of this as being played on the X or the edge <laughs> or whatever your rock station is, you know? Yeah, he called this a pop song, but uh, you know, it's not just a simple acoustic pop song. Yeah, there's acoustic guitar in it, but uh, it's it's got a a strange arrangement as we as we discussed, and um, it it's got a little 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 edge to it. You know, it's not uh, not just a simple pop tune. Yeah, he talked about something that I think is important, and that is dynamics in songs. You talked about that last part where it gets real quiet. And then before that last chorus hits, it sounds so huge. Why does it sound so huge? Well, that's because it comes after a quiet <laughs> part. It wasn't like, like you said, it wasn't that there were six more guitars added or that there wasn't anything added. It's just, that's how important the dynamics are in the song, in, in the songwriting itself, recording aside, think about it in a live situation too. It's going to sound that much more powerful if it's following a part that isn't. That's like the whole, that, that's the whole 90s quiet, loud Nirvana Pixies thing, right? That, yeah, that, for sure. It all sure. stems back to that. For sure. And a lot of times, you know, you're coming into the, the third pre-chorus and it's full band. It's like when that last chorus hits, well, you got to add some bells and whistles now. You really have to lift this last chorus. In this instance, you didn't need to. There was no more instrumentation that was added because it came off that quiet part and it just popped for chorus three. Yeah. And speaking of choruses, and you brought this up to him and he, I felt like he was a little surprised that you said this, but you and I, before we started recording here, when we were waiting for rain to get here, I was saying like, this song sounds like it has 
multiple choruses. <laughs> I feel like the I'd be waving my that that part sounds like a chorus to me. And then the actual chorus sounds like a chorus. It sounds like this could have been two songs with great choruses, but instead one of them's a pre-chorus. I would take that as a compliment. I hope he does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like your parts your parts are so good that they could have been <laughs> choruses on their own, you know? Well, and it's interesting this song that the pre-choruses are are you know, undoubtedly, besides the bridge, probably the heaviest parts of the song, that crash symbol just wide open. He even said someone at the label wanted wanted to turn that down. They thought it was too brash, too loud, because rarely do you have a pre-chorus that, that's bigger than the chorus. Uh, and, and, and and if it is, the chorus isn't going to work. But in this uh, this time, it does. It, it's uh, It's interesting. Yeah, it's a great song. I thought it was cool you guys talked about you know, you've talked about this on several episodes, but about changing lyrics to the pre-chorus. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, the same thing Rain said is what we've talked about before is that people sometimes, a lot of times, will just sing whatever the, the first one was. You know, it's kind of a lot of information to remember. I think the real fans will know the words that the real, the real fans do. But, you know, there's sometimes when a lyric just hits you so good, it's like, why change it? And I think that that was the, the the conundrum he was in here, but he changed it just the one time. And then I think his explanation of uh, pre-chorus three was perfect. It's like the, to bring back the lyric quiet or loud the last time because it's quiet there. I think it uh, fits the mood uh, perfectly. And what a nice guy. I said, okay, he's been living in LA for 20 years. So maybe, maybe he doesn't count as a Canadian anymore, but he'll always be a Canadian. <laughs> Something about Canadians... So nice, so friendly. I felt like I felt like he had a really good time doing this, which uh, always makes me feel good about our podcast. That's right, and, and it makes me feel good to do the podcast and do such such things as the after party. How about you, Chris? I mean, I love this podcast, but the after party, Chris. Funny you should mention that. That is our podcast that comes out every week for our supporting cast members. It's a lot of fun. Sometimes. Like this week, for example, it has to do with the episode that we just did. And I have a lot of fun making those with you, Chris. We have a a lot of episodes of the after party now. We've done, uh, we have a big back catalog that people will have access to if they sign up for our supporting cast. Yeah, I kind of look at it as the rap after the rap. You know, we, we kind of expound on things further and, and it's a lot of fun. And if you'd like to be part of our supporting cast program, head over to ChrisToMakes.com. And for a couple bucks a month, uh, you can join us. Yeah, absolutely. It's like buying me and Chris each a really small Yankee candle each month. <laughs> just just, just one of those really small ones because you enjoy our podcast and you're like, here's my offering. It's a small Yankee candle to make the room smell nice. And uh, I want to do that for you guys once a month because you bring such joy to my life and so many stories behind songs that I love. (laughs) And we want to continue bringing you joy because we love making this podcast and uh, we appreciate all the support. If you haven't already, join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you be a part of it with almost 4,000 active members at this uh, point. It's the place where we all go and unite and talk about the podcast, talk about what guests you want and all kinds of other stuff. And please give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris. I'd appreciate it. Want to thank this week's guest, Rain Maida, for being on the show, and we'll see you next week. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. 
Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.